legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guests today are Phil Escott and Ben Hunt, who join us to discuss freedom of choice in food and health and the tide of misinformation and propaganda which drives so many of us to unnecessary illness and premature death. Today, the world's population is in the grip of a pandemic of chronic disease. The primary reason is that our dietary and health advice and most of our medical systems are directed by corporations purely in the interest of profit, not of human health. Industrial manufacturers churn out toxic concoctions of chemicals masquerading as food to be fed to the increasingly obese and debilitated masses who believe that their own health is somehow not their responsibility. This surrender to state and corporate control was massively accelerated during the recent pandemic phase. However, there is a darker control agenda underlying these trends to which money, energy, and in this case health, are absolutely central. Of this nefarious plan, 2024 may reveal more. Hello and welcome, Phil. And Ben, thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thanks. Thanks for having us on, Greg. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. Okay, guys. So the main headline title of our talk today is The War on Health. Um, we're going to be talking about, amongst other things, diets, um, medicine, also social and political and economic dimensions of you know what we eat uh how that affects us uh general lifestyle um over short medium and long term just everything about health and food and freedom and as i mentioned this is going to include some uh you know socio-political dimensions of what's happening in the world so there's a lot wrapped up in here which we'll cover in quite a short time and this is a follow-up of sorts to the talk that the three of us did a while ago um, the war on food and freedom. Just a brief word, uh, housekeeping about what this is and isn't. We'll be talking a great deal about carnivore diet stroke lifestyle, which you guys are advocates for. But anybody listening to this, if you're a vegetarian, if you're a vegan, or just a plain old omnivore, if you've got, if you're not totalitarian and fundamentalist about what other people eat, then stick with us because we'll, a lot of what we're talking about can apply to anybody, whatever it is they're currently eating. Uh, you know, we're not dogmatic about it. You know, you, you can be passionate about something without suggesting that the whole world has to um, adopt your ways of thinking. You know, if we choose to oppose people who are being fundamentalist about things, we should be careful not to become fundamentalist in our opposition, if you see what I mean, just aping that which you're supposedly against. Before we dive into our subject today, just both of you briefly introduce yourselves and then say a word about 
the event, say the War on Health, which is coming up this month, uh, January 20th, 2024. Cool. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in, I, I suppose, because um, Greg and I, I think, I think um, Ben and I have both been on your show before together, but Greg and I have done a few before that as well, I think. I forget how many, but I think we started off with a, a, a chat about what is enlightenment a while ago. Yes, it was called What is Awakening? It literally oh, is it? You know. yeah. What is Awakening? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's a funny old journey for me because a lot of my life I've been a, a kind of a yogi, really, and uh, probably from kind of 1980, really, until 2010 when, you know, I, I got very, very sick with psoriatic arthritis and was pretty crippled, whereas, you know, late 90s, I ran my own gym. I was real muscly and wrote for mountain bike mags and riding all over the place. I mean, the, the little whispers were there. But uh, my journey was kind of writing books on plant-based diets back in the in the 90s and being totally convinced by that because of the whole spiritual side of things, saying, you know, it's very unholy and unspiritual and you'll never get awakened or whatever if you, if you eat meat. And it, it, you, your world changes when you're in crippling agony, really. And, and you start to look at things. And it was really my wake-up call in 2010. And, um, you know, it was a journey of about five years, really, of going more and more towards meat and uh, less and less towards plants. And since 2015, I've been fully carnivore, haven't eaten a plant at all, and uh, incredible health benefits. And But as you said, Greg, we're, we're, not, um, we're not dogmatic. I, I, I just, you know, I run my... 100% Carnivore and Beyond Facebook group. We run this wonderful challenge, Ben and I, the, called the Big Fat Challenge at thebigfatchallenge.com. And we've got this great event coming up as well. You know, I think after what's happened to us over these past few years, it's so nice for people to actually meet up. And we've got the most amazing um, speakers, wonderful doctors who have been, you know, there's there's Dr. Um, Dr. Ahmad Malik, who has been speaking out beautifully recently and has been shunned by the NHS and pretty much lost his livelihood for doing so, for speaking up and out against all the nonsense that's been happening. And um, then there's Natasha Campbell McBride. Uh, she's an absolute genius with her books, of Gut and Psychology Syndrome and Gut and Physiology Syndrome, of, of healing all kinds of things with a very low-carb, very high-meat diet. And we've got uh, Dr. Rachel Brown, who is an expert on the the mental health side of things because people forget about the gut brain connection and you know the amazing lifting of all kinds of mental health issues that we see when people drop the plant toxins out of the diet and uh, and we've also got Dr Sarah Pugh who is who is a incredible um, authority on all the light water and magnetism and all the other ancestral disconnects that we have you know with all the other things that the uh, the elites are hitting us with really with all these emfs artificial light screens all that kind of thing and 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 then ben and i are talking as well but uh yeah i'll, I'll let ben expand on more of what the day's like and what what the course is like when he introduces himself but that's me really a a, a path in life that i never thought i'd take being a a, a sort of carnivore influencer when i was a staunch vegetarian and vegan uh, for so many years of my life but you know life experiences sometimes turn us on a dime don't they and make us make us think of things that we would never otherwise have considered 
But, uh, you know, we'll get into more of the reasons why uh, we think that there's a bit of a war on health and some of the diet dogma is part of that later. But I'll hand over to Ben to introduce himself and say a bit more about the about the event that we've got coming up. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Phil. So funnily enough, it was actually plants that made me that turned me around to this kind of lifestyle as well, because uh, about 12 years ago, my wife and I moved into a house that had a big garden. And I had kind of young kids at the time, and I thought it would be really cool to get into uh, growing some of our own veg. I'd, I'd done it a few times before, at different houses where I've lived, and we had all this space. So I started digging this bed, and it was an awful hard work. Then I had my elderly neighbor, is about 90, came and uh, looked down, and he said, well, it's not no dig, is it? And I'd never heard of what of no dig. So that sent me down a rabbit hole, because that's what I like to do. And I, I got really into kind of no dig permaculture gardening. I designed and built my own greenhouse in the garden. I grew loads of chilies and and all kinds of things in there. And I started going to conferences about because this is the other thing. I was also a complete devotee of the climate change idea, and I thought that maybe we could build soil and suck CO two out of the air by making soil surely that would work and as though it was like a brand new idea it wasn't i mean lots of people had had that idea i started going to conferences about alternative and sustainable farming regenerative farming and there i heard started hearing a lot of ideas about the importance of ruminant animals for the land and the soil and also the importance of ruminant animals for our health as well people were talking about things like EPA and DHA that I'd never heard of before and conjugated linoleic acid and stuff like that and how healthy these things were and how they helped you to burn body fat and, and that actually meat was really good for you, which of course went completely against everything that we all are supposed to believe. And that then led me just to explore down that particular line again. And I ended up coming across a group of people who seemed to eat nothing but meat and I stumbled on Phil's 100% Carnivore and Beyond channel on Facebook. And uh, it, we introduced myself and uh, the rest is history. We've been working together now for about four years. And, um, and that's it. And I no longer have the greenhouse in the garden. I no longer eat, eat plants like like Phil. So, yeah, the the war on on health. It's, it's an interesting one. I think there, there's a lot of different kind of entrances into a conference like this or or a, a community like this and one of the things I, I like about the the truth loving truth seeking movement is that there, there is no particular dogma you don't have to believe one thing or another and we can have you know very uh, active but respectful debates like you know Carry on camping. Last year, we had a debate on flat versus spherical Earth, which is which is great and great that we can do these things. So, but one of the one one of the ways in is if you accept that the appropriate and species appropriate ideal human diet, which is the meat and fat of large animals and fish and and a few other things. Which is what we evolved, what, what we what made us human, and what uh, what what we ate for millions of years. Um, if you accept that, then you, the problem is that 
it's completely antagonistic to what the orthodox education tells us. Oh, you've got to limit your red meat, limit your saturated fat, that stuff's not good for you. Have your heart healthy, whole grains and seed oils and, and whatever. And meanwhile, people are getting sick and falling over dead all over the place. So, But to, to take on that idea, you've also got to take on the idea that the the powers that be are either completely stupid, which obviously isn't the case, or that they don't have our best interests at heart and something else is, is motivating them other than what's best for the people. And once you accept that, then you then it leads to all kinds of other things where you go, well, what if, what if? So if they're lying to us about diet, are they lying to us about pharmaceuticals? Are they lying to us about vaccines and all these other things? So that's really what the conference is, is for. It's for um, anybody who is waking up to the reality, which is that the what's called the healthcare system um, is not really about health at all and is really just an industry. And that if we wish to be the best versions of ourselves and wish to be as healthy as we can be and wish the same for our loved ones and our families, then we have to take responsibility for our own health. So it's it's a one-day conference, Saturday the 20th of January, and it's designed to educate and inform, but also we want everyone to be able to go away with practical things that they can do the very next day that will make a very real difference to their um, chances of living a, a, a long and satisfying active life. So... So if people want to book where they do that, and I believe you've uh, offered a generous discount code. Yes, indeed. Yes. So um, to book, just type in waronhealth.uk into your browser. It's HTTP waronhealth.uk. And uh, that will redirect you to our page. And the, the, the normal price for the whole day, which includes a carnivore lunch and a carnivore banquet at the end of the day as well and obviously tea and coffees as well throughout the day um is 147 pounds but if you put in the code greg g-e-r-g all in capitals then that will knock 30 pounds off that so that's that'll bring it down to just 117 and um there's also accommodation at the venue as well which is cliff college it's actually by day it's a methodist bible college and it's nestled in uh calver which is um, just outside Baslow near Bakewell, absolutely stunning location. Now, another thing to say is that um, we're all uh, going to be there Friday evening, um, staying over Friday night. So we've got bed and breakfast at, at the place. You get breakfast provided. But in addition, if I would definitely recommend that people stay over for Saturday night as well, because after the carnivore conference, uh, after the uh, the banquet, sorry, we'll be carrying on in the evening. So. Um, all of the speakers, apart from Natasha, who's joining by video link, um, will be hanging around in the evening. And then on the Sunday, we're planning on going out on a, a, a big walk as well together. So yeah, the route will depend on the uh, conditions on late in late January. But um, I also think it's really good that that, that time of year, the, the end of January, late January, is meant to be the time generally acknowledged when people are the most miserable, the most depressed, because you know, they... They made silly New Year's resolutions on the 1st of January or the 31st of December that they've since let fall. It's been dark. It's been cold. It's been miserable. It doesn't seem to be anything to look forward to. So at that time of year, I think it's more important than ever that we put down our screens, 
time we actually meet each other face to face and uh, we're able to, you know, smile and hug and have a laugh together as well. Well, I love the idea that code Greg gets you thirty pounds off. It could also get you thirty pounds off your waistline. Nice one. Yeah, <laughs> it could. It could easily do. Yeah. So, uh, Ben, it's interesting that you mention uh, New Year and resolutions and what have you, because people make all sorts of New Year's resolutions. I'm not saying it's a totally invalid thing to do because it's an arbitrary point. But on the other hand, it's like, why not? You know, because it is the, the, you know, the change from one year into another. And if people do want to make changes in their life, and that could be anything, work, personal life, fitness, health, you know, via diet, whatever, that's valid enough. You know, you've got to have a date it's helpful for people when they want to make change to have um, a date as a focus because you know we're living you know in linear time as it were and, and that makes sense but isn't it interesting that so many new year's resolutions come after the christmas you know an advent a season of like overindulgence and overeating and so many new year's resolutions involve diets involved i'm going to eat less or I'm going to change what I eat. And so many of these things are false starts and they fail, as you mentioned. And there's reasons, if I can put it like this, baked into the cake, why that is. You know, and, and it's a lot to do with what people are eating. And a lot of these resolutions don't necessarily involve a radical overhaul or rethinking or even a thinking about what have I been eating. They involve what I call diets in air quotes. Right? For me, and I'm sure for you guys, your diet is simply what you eat. You know, that's your diet. But for a lot of people, it's a diet and air coach, which is some unsustainable, artificial, temporary way of eating, which is supposed to usually help them lose weight. And then, of course, that you go into this flip flopping again and another failure and more uh, self-flagellation and regret, as you pointed out. And a lot of people find themselves in the same boat again the next new year. So but the main point to take away from that is that so much of it revolves around food and eating yeah absolutely i mean greg you've, you've hit the nail on the head there really that the the problem the problem really is that we've been lied to so much for such a long time about our diet and this is this is something we've covered in our red pill food revolution book which is the the sequel to the red pill revolution and and uh you know we're co-authors of, of both these books um with, with a couple of other great guys, <clears throat> um, very knowledgeable. And they're, they're out there. There's a, actually, <clears throat> excuse me, the Red Pill Food Revolution is, 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 is available as audiobook and all sorts on, on the Big Fat Challenge too. But, you know, what, what I think is the problem here is that we are told what we should be eating, which isn't a human species specific diet, because, you know, we've only, been eating grains for about 10,000 years. We've only really been eating processed food and seed oils and even the modern fruit and veg for like one or 200 years. And the, the catastrophic decline in human health since we've been eating these things is, is, is evident everywhere. But what, what happens is that you get things like, you know, the eat well plate and whatever, and you're told kind of what to eat. And there's even like sweets and stuff on there. Never mind having a third of your plate or whatever it is of starchy carbohydrates, which are absolutely nutritionally useless. Um, that we, we're, we're told that we need to eat less and move more. 
So people end up with Ben and I just did a rant about this, actually, for our sub stack of, of, of like, you know, why are people always joining gyms and going to slimming clubs? And I've got to really come down hard on the slimming clubs because they're set up for repeat business. People go there and they get told to eat the same crap, but less of it. And it relies on willpower. And some people lose weight, but they don't just lose fat. They lose muscle mass. They lose bone density. They lose hormonal health. They mess around with their mitochondrial health as well. And they might lose some weight on the scales, but they probably still look a bit flabby and whatever. And, and, and then the binge comes because there's only so long that you can go with willpower because the body needs to be nourished. And the foods that they're telling you to eat are not very nourishing and they're telling you to eat less of them. And the foods that really we are adapted to, um, fatty red meat and, you know, whatever we can forage in the autumn, depending on latitude, um, you know, none, obviously, in the in the north, you get civilizations like 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 the Inuit, you know, who people think die young, but they, they actually don't. Um, and they eat nothing but meat. And, you know, this is what we've done all through human history. So it's very, very simple. You know, if you can walk into into Weight Watchers and Slimming World and say, listen, guys, you can stuff your faces with animal fat and uh, and protein and nothing else, and you'll never go hungry. You'll never need willpower again once you get past the carb addictions. You know, the, the sugar addiction is a very powerful thing. Uh, and and once you get past that in the first sort of 30 to 60 days or whatever, and then it's like plain sailing. I mean, I'm never hungry. I, I, I just don't get hungry, and I eat once or twice a day, and I eat a whole load of meat, fatty meat, and I'm very lean. I'm 61 years old now, and I I have no belly and I, I, I stay, you know, um, um, effortlessly lean. Whereas I was a big fatty at one point, my 2010, I was, you know, I lost 90 pounds at one point, um, eating more calories than when I was 90 pounds heavier, just different calories. And, and, you know, your metabolic health will be, will be restored. Your hormonal health, mitochondrial health, everything will be restored by eating the natural diet. And so, you know the con of the of the of the slimming um, the slimming clubs is just set up for repeat business, and each time you 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 binge and put back the weight, usually more than you had before, and then you go back again, and 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 it becomes more difficult each time to lose weight because you're more hormonally deranged. And I think they must know this, and and the governments are pushing it. The 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 food corporations, the fast food corporations, that have discovered that sort of bliss point of carbohydrates and fats mixed which never happens in nature except in breast milk and the occasional nut in the autumn and it, it, it just doesn't happen and now they're doing it with grains and seed oils which are incredibly toxic on their own never mind mixed together and this is part of the war on health and so you know i'll hand over to ben and and, and see what i've missed there but what do you reckon ben i think that's that's kind of what's going on yeah definitely the the slimming clubs are are awful, you know. It's, it, the slimming clubs are to, you know, good dietary health. What the pharmaceutical companies are to good physical health, really. But you know, Greg, going back to the topic of New Year's resolutions, I mean, I've, I've, um, I'm on mine, right? This this year because I've decided because, yeah, Phil and I have been obviously coaching people in the the carnivore lifestyle for a long time. We've we've helped a bunch of people. But I was never as sick as Phil was. You know, I, my <clears throat> my gut was never as ravaged as Phil's. So um, um, 
I've, I've been saying to people for a while, oh, you know what? Every now and again, I can get away with a crate of beer or I can get away with the odd pizza every now and again. I mean, my, you know, for the last year, my diet has been 90% meat, but sometimes I'll like have too much to drink on a Friday night. And then on, on the Saturday, I'll go down to Aldi and get four croissants and, and munch on those. But I know enough people in this community and around this this community who have talked about the the qualitative difference of when you really do cut out the last plants from your diet and and what a difference it makes to your to to your 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 mental health your confidence your everything and um the point is that i i had to confess to myself that i i was i didn't know it because i'd only over only ever done you know weeks here and there between cheats you know um on on pure carnivore so so i've decided to create a big fat challenge xl version that we're doing so i'm doing that for 90 days it's it's meat so mainly beef and lamb maybe a bit of fish you know a bit of bacon salt water that's it no alcohol no tobacco no coffee no tea no nothing else um and i'm on coming up to the end of day four and it's already been a real roller coaster ride so yeah definitely learning a lot on this route well you mentioned phil about the, the dawn of agriculture and say let's say ten thousand years ago and the deleterious effects that has had on a, the human species but in recent decades you know maybe especially the last 100 150 years there's been further developments that have outstripped even that that make perhaps what many humans, with, with exceptions, obviously, in times of deprivation and famine. I mean, you can't count those, but, you know, perhaps what w was eaten by the, the, the best fed people in ancient Greece and ancient Rome might be far superior, whatever it was, to what some people are eating now. I remember in my lifetime, my grandparents uh, and, and obviously my parents and I largely at this diet as well, particularly when, when I was younger, which was, was an omnivore diet, but there was a lot of meat and fish in it. But one thing that characterized it was freshness. So whatever we say, and that's what I mentioned at the top of the hour about, you know, carrying people along with us who are, are not carnivore and they're eating different things, but there's, there's issues here that affect us all, whatever our diet, uh, freshness. So very little canned food, almost no processed food. And what my grandparents grew up eating, particularly they were, if not living on farms and living around farms, well, they were eating things today that are, are demonized. Things like, you know, a lot of butter, a lot of animal, you know, a lot of meat, a lot of fatty meat. Uh, and yes, they would eat bread. They, and when I come from an Ireland, potatoes almost every day, but we know, had no pasta and rice. Those things didn't exist in that culture and all sorts of vegetables. But the point was that for better or worse, these things were fresh. And if you can say anything beneficial about them at all, then that's what my grandparents were eating. And they ate like that all their lives. And they died, I should say they lived to a ripe old age, and they died entirely of natural causes, nothing directly, anything to do with their diet whatsoever. If you got a modern uh, young food influencer in, um, didn't tell them, you know, sketched out their diet, my grandparents' diet for a week, perhaps, and said, uh, okay, so what do you make of this? As it didn't say anything about the quality of it, just said, here, here are the meals. What do you make of this? 
they'd probably be absolutely horrified. They say, oh my God, I mean, what's the, what are the calories here? Look at the fat. They're drinking alcohol as well. You know, they're drinking a bit of alcohol every day. Oh my God, you know, it would be absolutely horrifying. So one thing to remember that's very important is the heavily processed and, and ultra-processed foodstuffs and, and pseudo-foods that have come increase, increasingly throughout the the 20th century. And that continues unabated into the 21st because there's a lot of talk about, oh, well, you know, we understand that a lot of cheap sausages and, and you know, other meat with water injected into it, this is not good, blah, blah, blah. But that has been glossed over and, how can I put it, repackaged for the 21st century in the guise of uh, being healthier. But ultimately, it's the result of um, industrial processes. And this is where I want to bring in vegetarian and vegan alternatives to, you know, meat-based uh, foods, or which I should just say meat, what the hell is a meat-based food? <laughs> you know, that, that's the ultra-processed thing again. So the idea is that these pseudo-burgers and pseudo-sausages and everything else are healthy alternatives. It is just not true. And in fact, I'll finish just by saying, we're now living through, if you're paying attention to news items in this area, a slump in demand for vegan and vegetarian alternatives to meat-based products. Many of, of these meat-based products in the first place not being good quality because they're ultra-processed. So I think this is all of a, a vicious, uh, you know, circular kind of fight taking place in an arena that is ultimately the same. It's an ultra-processed, factory-farmed industrial arena where the um, opposing parties are actually just part of the same problem. And what you're talking about in terms of a potential uh, dietary changes and health benefits lie outside that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that you, you, you've, you've made a very good point there that our grandparents and whatever ate uh, veg, you know, meat and two veg and bread and whatever, and they were okay. Um, now, I, I don't think that that it's it's an it's an ultimately good diet because there is only one food that has no toxins and has everything we need and that's fatty red meat and that's the one that of course the elites are are trying to demonize the most so you know there's a lot of people if they if they wake up to um all the other things that are going on and there's quite a lot that haven't woken up to the diet thing you just got to look what um you know klaus schwab and bill gates are pushing to know what not to eat and you just got to look at what Bill Gates looks like, right? <laughs> to say, hey, would you, do you really want a body like that? There's obviously been some uh, hormonal disruption going on there. But you make a good point as well about the, the fake meats. Uh, you know, this, it's, they're a chemical shitstorm. They're absolutely appalling. And, you know, I noticed that, uh, what's her name? Heather Mills, her, her vegan empire has come crashing down recently. And the, the, the demand for it is, is definitely disappearing, but it's still being pushed a lot. And I, I, I honestly think this is all part of the New World Order depopulation program, to be honest. But, you know, we're, we're, again, we're not dogmatic. If somebody enjoys potatoes and they can eat them, you know, absolutely go ahead, you know, if you like veg. But be aware that, you know, animals have defenses. Uh, they can bite, they can scratch, they can run away. Plants have toxins. Most of the plants on the planet will make you very sick or kill you. And our our veg that we're told are healthy, you know, green veg, particularly, you know, things like spinach and stuff. I mean, I've been there, had the kidney stones from the oxalate poisoning and whatever when I was doing spinach smoothies, when I was conned into the fact that that was healthy. 
So these things are very toxic. Like uh, our, our friend, Dr. Anthony Chafee says, a carnivore neurosurgeon who's a bit of a rock star in the field at the moment. And, and um, he, he says that, you know, there's 136 carcinogens in an organic Brussels sprout and 60 in the least toxic veg. Now, we don't need any of them. The nutrients in there that are on paper are not bioavailable because they're all wrapped up in, in digestible cellulose. And, and these things are useless, basically. For, you know, fruit is not so toxic. It has certain issues, but the plant wants us to eat that. They don't want us to eat their stalks and leaves. It's not healthy. It's very dangerous. Um, but we were okay on them. You know, I mean, cabbage is, for, for example, not such a toxic uh, leaf. So most people in England would say have you know, cabbage, potatoes and some meat and potatoes. They have certain issues, you know, whatever, but not a big deal. But Natasha Campbell McBride, who's one of the speakers at this this conference and an absolute genius on all this stuff. She was on my podcast recently, my Red Pill Buddhist podcast. And, and, and she just made some beautiful points that made me think, you know, these plants are not necessary, um, but we could take them, you know, we can, we can get rid the human body is an amazing thing to get rid of certain toxins. But she made the point that all of the foods that we eat when we buy them from a supermarket have had some sort of interaction with glyphosate, which is a wide spectrum antibiotic. So if you're eating chocolate, you've probably got, you know, the cocoa beans have been sprayed with something. You're eating bread, the wheat has. You're eating the veg, and the, the organic label is often a con, and they've been sprayed anyway. Um, so all the time, we're basically eating pesticides. We're eating a wide-spectrum antibiotic that completely disrupts our, our microbiome and gives us leaky gut, which arises, you know, is the root of autoimmune conditions of all sorts, really, and and... So she said, well, when you're at that stage, then you can't really take the plant toxins anymore. Because I know there's going to be people listening to this going, oh, I eat veg and I'm fine. Well, go for it. Enjoy. Um, it's it's just that some of us, when you get really sick, you know, people with crippling arthritis, um, autoimmune conditions like uh, like, you know, multiple sclerosis and um, all the all the digestive ones like Crohn's, colitis, all of that kind of thing. They if you cut all the plants out they reverse. Some people can go back to some plants, some people can't. Most people just learn really that they're not necessary and never particularly like them in the first place, like me. So I don't eat them. But, you know, and we don't get scurvy. We don't get constipated. We don't, I promise you, none of these things happen. Um, so that is a, that's a very good point. Another factor on the war on health, that everything has been sprayed. So we lose sometimes when we get too broken, we lose our plant privileges and we lose the ability to get rid of these plant toxins. We become so full of them that uh, that that the body's just had enough. And that's the stage I got to. And a lot of people don't realize that because then when you get out of that war and, and you think, right, I'm not going down the pharmaceutical route, I'm going to go the natural route. And then what do you get presented with? Oh, go vegan, eat more green stuff, have some smoothies, eat a load of fruit, go fruitarian. I've down, been down all those rabbit holes and they don't work. And they're dangerous. They might work for a little bit. You get a honeymoon period. There's people going to sit out there probably thinking, oh, I've been vegan six months. I feel wonderful. But watch out because you're basically eating your own muscle mass and you're eating your own uh, bodily uh, fat and whatever just to keep going. It's, it's, uh, veganism is, is a sort of auto cannibalistic state. And I've been there myself, got emaciated. Um, so there's, there's a load of aspects of this war 
on of keeping people away from it because you know believe me anyone listening to this everybody who is a full carnivore now and doesn't eat any plants it was a last resort we all thought it was insane at a certain point but when you actually look at what the tribes eat and what they have eaten for millennia the hunter-gatherer tribes it's 90 percent to 100 percent meat depending on latitude and season and they are totally healthy they have no problems none of our chronic diseases and they don't die young um so there we go. It's it's just that some of us have lost those plant privileges. And our aim is not to get everybody to eat carnivore, but just to stop all this nonsense and these 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 criminal studies sponsored by pharmaceutical companies and uh, food, big food companies that, that try and make out that meat is unhealthy, carcinogenic, causes heart disease. It doesn't. If you eat just meat, it reverses all of those things that it's said to cause. So wh- whatever anybody wants to eat, go ahead, fill your boots. But as if we can get rid of this war on meat, you know, they're destroying the, far- the farmers, you know, and, and, and all of that, trying to inject all the animals and trying to make that all illegal and starve the farmers out financially. I'll let Ben get into more of the side of that, you know, if he wants to. But that's the thing. There's no dogmatism here. Just let's get rid of the idea that meat is unhealthy, unspiritual, bad for the environment all of these things because it's absolute nonsense yeah actually what, what i'd like to jump in with is um something you mentioned greg you know you're you like your grandparents living to maybe 80 or 90 and and we have it that that's that's a ripe old age <laughs> however something that's really on my mind a lot at the moment is about um what is actually the natural human lifespan and is that being shortened unnecessarily? Because there, there are a lot of um, stories. I mean, even going back like 2300 BC or something like that, was uh, there was a Greek writer, Herodotus, who wrote in his histories about a visit from the um, a Persian ambassador to the Ethiopians or the Nubians right in West Africa. And um, he the, the ambassador was... You know, waxing lyrical about how the the Persians ate wheat that they fertilized with manure from the from the cows, and they lived to seventy years old. And apparently, the uh, the Ethiopian king laughed out loud and said, um, "Well, my people eat boiled meat and the milk of their cows, and they live to one hundred and twenty. He said, "No wonder you're dying young if you eat um, dung, right?" To this guy. And then interestingly, more more recently, I mean, like in even in the like in the 19th century, uh, apparently the Plains Indians in North America, who consisted mainly on bison, they were meant to be the they were known to be the tallest human beings in the world. They were extremely healthy. And there was a guy called uh, Chief John Smith White Wolf who, who died at 137 years old. And he he used to tell stories about fighting in the War of 1812 as an adult as well. Um, And then even more, very, very recently, um, they've discovered telomeres, which are like the the ends of your your DNA helix strands. Okay, if you imagine like the, the little plastic thingies that they put on the ends of shoelaces to stop them fraying and coming undone, these these telomeres. Uh, do the same for your DNA. But every time a cell divides, the telomeres get slightly shorter. And so they can kind of figure out and project based on telomere length, how long our natural service lifespans meant to be. And guess what did they come out with? 120. 
that the the normal expected lifespan for humans should be around 120 years. Okay. Um, <laughs> they've also done a study of all kinds of factors. This is very recent too. All kinds of factors, everything they could think of um, to do with to do with diet, lifestyle, sex, you know, every everything in there, and um, and comparing it to telomere length. And the only significant feature that they found was a positive correlation between telomere length and red meat consumption in the diet. So it's it, they're saying that having red meat in your diet lengthens your telomeres. Um, so that to me is pretty mind blowing. Just the idea that we're supposed to, we, or we should expect to live to 120 years, but we don't know this. And the reason we don't know this is because we've got short, short lifespans, short memories, and um, nobody, you know, nobody knows. So you know, one of the things that that's driving me is I'm 51 years old, right? I could be less than halfway through my life by now, right? If I take care of my body. So that's part of the experiment that I'm that I'm doing now. I want to, yeah, I want to know how much younger it's possible to feel and for how long. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com.